Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for March 22nd, 2018. On today's show, we'll be talking about film news, followed by a mailbag segment discussing the future of physical media. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Sorretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, let's get let's jump into the news. Um, let's start off with Steven Spielberg. There's a you know he's doing press for Ready Player One, and uh, he has come out and said that Netflix movies don't deserve to be nominated for Oscars. They deserve uh, Emmy consideration instead. Chris, is he wrong? Yes and no. I mean, I understand where he's coming from, but I, I think his his logic is a little outdated. Um, the Academy has this rule that films have to screen for a full week in Los Angeles before they could be nominated for any Oscars. And uh, the issue he seems to have is that uh, a lot of Netflix films, like they did this last year with Mudbound, they'll do a quick week-long run in theaters and then they'll qualify for Oscars. And in his mind, it seems to be that if you make a film for Netflix or you know, just a streaming platform in general, you're making it for TV. And so 
in Steven Spielberg's mind, that makes it a TV movie, not a theatrical movie. So he feels like that shouldn't qualify them for Oscars. They should get Emmy Awards because Emmys deal with TV. And, you know, while I understand where it's coming from, it's a very old school mentality that a lot of filmmakers like Spielberg and, you know, from his generation have where, you know, if, if it's not on the big screen, it's not really a movie. And I just don't think that applies anymore. You know, here and now in the 21st century, you know, streaming is becoming more and more prevalent. And it's not like streaming movies are, are crap. You know, there's a lot of quality films being put out by Netflix. And I just feel like this is where, you know, the medium is headed, whether, you know, Steven Spielberg likes it or not. <laughs> Um, it should be noted that the Academy, I think, requires what a week or two of theatrical run in New York and L.A. to be considered a movie. Yes, a film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's just a rule that has been in existence until now. Obviously, you know, the medium is changing. Techno- technology is changing. Um, um. Okay, let me pose this idea, and I'm not sure I'm behind this idea. I think I'm actually with you guys. Uh. What if the Academy created a new award uh, for best uh, television, uh, you know, limited series or motion picture, kind of like the Golden Globes does? Um, well, I guess they have an award like that, right? Does the Academy or, have No, like actually, that? they don't. I'm thinking of the Golden Globes. Uh, let me go to Brad. Brad, would, would you be up for a whole new category of award, like, you know, best television and streaming movie award? For the Academy Awards, um, I mean, I think it would be interesting if the Academy did have a, a best TV movie award, but I'm not necessarily sure that uh, it would clear up any of the issues because some of Netflix's movies, especially if they think that they will qualify for uh, Oscars, such as Mudbound or <clears throat> uh, Beast of No Nation, before they'll play it in theaters. So, I mean. If Netflix wants a movie to be considered for, well, I, I yeah. think Steven Spielberg saying if that happens, that would qualify. Or am I am I wrong, Chris? Uh, he's saying he. I think he feels like that's kind of cheating, basically. Uh, okay. Where if if Netflix, you know, they do these one week runs, it, it you know, it's sort of like they're they're gaming the system in his mind. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I like Chris said. I do I do understand like what he's saying, but I mean. The only, yeah, Netflix is just going, is going to get around that by you know releasing the movie in theaters. So I mean, if you make a separate category, I don't know. It could be interesting, but then I feel like you know we're just opening the door to like creating a bunch of other micro categories that don't necessarily need to be done. And you know, I don't know, but but I, I think that at the same time, you know, like there are plenty of TV movies that deserve attention. You know, HBO makes incredible TV movies all the time with. Uh, Oscar caliber performances. Um, so I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe. I mean, I, I also think uh, you know, not that I'm advocating for another category, but you know, now we're we're into this era of limited series. You know, they have like you know what from six to twelve episodes that is like one long story, and it's not uh, you know a traditional TV show where it has another season. Um, it, it's essentially you know a ten long a ten hour long movie. Uh, it would be interesting to see if the Academy could grow to adopt a category for those kind of efforts. But, uh, I mean, I guess there isn't enough of them right now for that to be, um, considered, right? But, um, yeah. Well, plus, and I mean, 
Hollywood already kind of recognized that anyway through television because they do have a category that is just for TV movies and limited series. So it may not be an Oscar, but it's still the same caliber award, I guess you could say. You're saying the Golden Globes are the same caliber award as the Oscars? No, 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 the Emmys. Oh, the Emmys. Okay, yes. Okay. Uh, Let's move on to another interesting topic, and that is uh, cryptocurrency, which I know nothing about. Uh, I do do not own any Bitcoin, uh, but apparently Hollywood is looking towards cryptocurrency for a viable fundraising option for future movies. Ben, what is going on here? So uh, I sort of posed that question. Is cryptocurrency a viable option? And uh, the conclusion that I came to is I'm not fully sure yet, but I, I think it's going to be much more likely that cryptocurrency is used for smaller films than, uh, you know, than to raise funds for the next big blockbuster or something like that. So let me back up a little bit. Uh, I'm not even going to try to define what cryptocurrency is other than just in the most broad terms, which is it's essentially money that exists in digital form that uh, is not regulated by any particular agency. And it is uh, it's it's sort of a crapshoot right now. There's a lot you guys have probably anyone listening to this has probably heard all about Bitcoin and all these different things. John Oliver actually recently did uh, an entire episode devoted to uh, cryptocurrencies of his show last week tonight. And I embedded that in the article that I wrote about this at SlashHome.com, and I would encourage everyone to watch that because I think he, he sort of uh, explains the broad strokes pretty clearly. But the gist of this story is that uh, there is a movie in the works about uh, Nolan Bushnell, who is the founder of Atari, the video game company. And uh, this company called Vision Tree is looking to raise about $40 million through the private sale of what they're calling Bushnell tokens, which is a new digital coin that's named after the guy that the movie is supposed to be about. So it's essentially a a new cryptocurrency that they've created and they're trying to uh, use sort of a crowdfunding approach where uh, anyone can buy in to the creation of this movie sort of like you know kickstarter or indiegogo or something and they offer rewards so in anyone who participates will have a small piece of ownership of the eventual movie they'll be able to vote on the trailer and help select cast members for the film it's unclear exactly how all of that is gonna is gonna work but uh but that's their plan right now and so you know on first viewing of that information i was sort of like oh this is just another company trying to cash in on a popular trend. Hollywood and, and other companies all over the world try to do this kind of thing all the time. But the thing that really got my attention here was that Leonardo DiCaprio's Appian Way production company is co-producing this movie with them. So this is not just some, you know, whack job off the street, some crappy little side company trying to do something crazy. This is like DiCaprio's production company has produced, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, The Revenant, Shutter Island, like some legitimate movies over the past few years. And if they think there's something to this, maybe there actually is something to this. Um, You know, looking into it a little bit more, it seems like there is a new movie called No Postage Necessary. That's the first film that's coming out later this year that's going to be released using blockchain technology. So you can read all about this. I, I sort of broke it all down in this uh, this article at Slashfilm.com. But that's I guess that's the gist of it. That's the, the information that you need to know right now. So, um, Peter, what do you think about this? I don't know. And uh, Nolan Bushnell's in, in, involvement in this uh, has me scratching my head because, you know, this is the guy that created Atari and he helped create uh, Chuck E. Cheese. But uh, in recent years, he's had a, 
staggering amount of failures, including this. Uh, he wanted he created this restaurant chain called U Wink, which uh, you could play like games against other people at your your tables. It didn't take off. Uh, all the restaurants have closed. I think. Uh, I think maybe even Spielberg at one point might have been involved in that. I could be wrong, um, but uh, I don't know. I, I do see a future for kind of a crowd crowdfunding a movie and the people being involved in the process in some way. But is cryptocurrency the way to do it? I know. Um, I know Hollywood has been trying to find ways of getting public investors in in, in a movie, but it, it's the legalities of all this kind of stuff and investing in in a movie property is very very hard to get around. Uh, I'm wondering if. Uh, if uh, c- cryptocurrencies is the kind of like loophole to 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 make it all work, yeah. The only thing that I hesitate about is is Hollywood is notoriously risk averse, right? Like if they can help it at all, they will make the safe choice every single time because there is a, a proven blueprint out there that the safe choice works. Anytime anybody in Hollywood takes a chance, it's always very very risky, and they they tend to you know sort of. Um, circle the wagons and not really do anything too far outside the norm. And cryptocurrency, turning to that, would be incredibly risky because right now a lot of people are losing a lot of money because the markets are fluctuating so wildly because they're not regulated. So the idea that you know a, a huge studio would say, okay, yeah, let's try to you know raise $150 million for their, our new movie through a, a a type of cryptocurrency that has no physical form or intrinsic value in and of itself just seems, uh, I mean, it might happen. And maybe five years from now, I'll look back on this episode of the podcast and be like, wow, you're an idiot for not having the the <laughs> forethought to, to see how this could work. But for me, it just seems very risky. And in an environment and in an industry where risk is uh, a no, no, it seems, it seems like something they won't really grasp fully at this point. Yeah, I'm reading that book, the big the big picture, which Chris recommended, and uh, it, it just giving you a little peek into uh, how ho- Hollywood contracts work and how you know people are paid, uh, you know, actors and stuff are are, are paid before uh, the profit even happens. So uh, you know, Hollywood accounting. I'm not sure if I would want to invest in something where you know a a film like Harry Potter might not on paper be considered a success you know because of all right. the uh the weird hollywood accounting uh let's move on to uh a little bit of sad news and that is uh meltdown comics in hollywood is closing uh this is a famous comic book store in hollywood that has been here for decades and hosted uh the meltdown uh comedy special brad you you were a fan of that uh and you lived in hollywood and visited this uh comic book store uh and wrote this up for the site tell us about it yeah this is a real bummer it's been a trademark uh institution for uh pop culture and various geek sundries comic books action figures uh and especially comedy uh it's just recently announced out of nowhere yesterday that it's going to close uh its last day open will be march 30th there's no indication as to what's next for the owner of uh, Meltdown, but he sent a, a letter out, um, you know, kind of giving his farewell and, you know, saying how proud he was of everything that happened there. Um, Meltdown really became famous because of the comedy shows that came out of it. Um, <clears throat> Kumail Nanjiani and Jonah Ray 
when they were far lesser known comedians, had a show that they hosted there called The Meltdown, and they would bring in all their comedian friends to do various shows there in uh, the, the Nerd Melt showroom. It became a, a, a series on Comedy Central where it was the same thing, just just televised. And it's seen so many famous faces come through when they were just starting out and then becoming you know, more and more famous and getting nominated for awards and becoming movie and TV stars. And it was also the place where a lot of uh, popular podcasts were recorded. Um, the Indoor Kids was one. Uh, you Made It Weird with Pete Holmes recorded there. And, of course, the um, the famous Nerdist podcast that was started by Chris Hardwick and launched the entire Nerdist media empire was uh, all began uh, at Meltdown. So this is, you know, it, it's a pop culture institution. Uh, its influence will still be felt, you know, for years to come. But it's a real shame that it's closed down because it was such a cool, intimate venue where, you know, if you went to a show, you would meet, you know, these cool comedians and they were always willing like, to talk to people. And it was just... It was such a cool place to go hang out. It's um, it's really a shame that it's uh, it's closing down. Yeah, when I first moved to LA, I lived uh, literally two blocks away from the meltdown, so I would be there every week, uh, buying comics and looking at their toy selection. And uh, I, I went to a few of those early uh, meltdown shows, and it was just incredible. And I remember one week, uh, Patton Oswalt uh, did. Like his, I think he was doing an HBO stand-up special, and he showed up there to try out the his entire act. The week before he went and recorded it, um, so I had like was another was, time that someone uh, there was an, an improv show there, and Robin Williams showed up and did improv with the team that was doing improv that night. Like it's, it was a place where like anything could happen. Yeah, no, it, it, it's really sad, and I'm, I'm interested to see what uh, comes of the, the the guy that runs Meltdown. I I also know like you know this is a place that like a lot of Hollywood would go to, like J.J. Abrams would go there, a bunch of you know the filmmakers and actors. Um, so it's it's very sad. I I hope uh I hope there's a future for Meltdown in some way. Uh, there is, if you go to the website right now, the Meltdown website, um, it's there's a, a an overlay that comes up that prompts you to sign up for the meltdown newsletter and it says to um sign up for a newsletter to be keyed in on what's in store for the next 25 years of meltdown so it seems like he's got something planned even though the store is closing closing so i don't, I don't necessarily know what that means but i guess you know you find out if you subscribe to the newsletter <laughs> hmm. okay let's move on uh to the future of cinema and that is 4dx have has announced that they're teaming with ScreenX to add projection screens around their already uh, insane 4D experience. Chris, you wrote this up for the site. Is is this the future of movies? Uh, I hope not, because this is terrifying. Um, 4DX, uh, if anyone doesn't know, it, it's it's like a total sensory overload where uh, you know the the seats move and water sprays out at you and you know all this stuff happens, and so they're combining that with screen. I, I, I should say um, on the slash filmcast, uh, Jermaine and I uh, did a review of the Transformers: The Last Night. I think uh, 4DX experience. I will link it in the show notes. It, it's considered one of the the funniest uh, episodes of slash film uh, slash filmcast. So uh, check that out. Okay, go on. Uh, yeah, so uh, they're partnering with Screen X, which is this thing that wraps the screen around the whole theater. So the projection isn't just in front of you; it's on the walls too. So, uh, you know, it's 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 called 40X with Screen X, and there's a video, uh, you know, in the story. You can see it on Slash Film, and the video uh, 
is upsetting. There's like sirens going <laughs> off and the, the seats are rolling up and down and there it, it, it's just too much. And I honestly can't imagine watching an entire movie like this. Um, so, I, I someone just loved like, when you were writing this up for the site in our, in our slash film Slack channel, you were you like commented that you were getting a panic attack from watching the video. The video is very upsetting. There's a lot of noises and there's smoke and there's, it's just, it, it looks like a nightmare. And I honestly, I, I, you know, I, I tweeted about this. I, I tweeted the link to the story and someone responded and they were very high and mighty. And they were like, you know, this is the future. You need to get with it. People always judge technology too early and I'm sorry, but I can't imagine sitting through a whole movie like this. You know, it just, it just seems too much. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but Christ almighty, this looks upsetting to me. I can't imagine seeing like a whole movie this way. I mean, I can tell you I've experienced two movies in 40X, uh, Transformers last night and uh, San Andreas. Neither were a a good experience. Um, you know, the the motion seats and all the effects are kind of overdone. I, I could see if they used them more subtly. It would be interesting, maybe. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're paying like something like 25 or 30 bucks a ticket for this. So I think they, they think the audience needs like to have effects every minute. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to throw the whole kitchen sink at you. Uh, I've also experienced this uh, Screen X technology. A few years ago, I saw Maze Runner in it, uh, and certain scenes in the movie would take over the sides of the movie theater. Um, but it was kind of like created in this video game engine. Like they didn't shoot the scenes and that aspect ratio. So it was kind of like these, uh, almost like, uh, things inspired by what you were, you were seeing on the screen extensions to the sides. So like, uh, as, as long as I think movies aren't shooting stuff for the sides, I don't see the point of this. Brad, is this something you would want to see a movie in? This is going to be the only way that I want to see movies from now on. And I also want them to start making it more intense. Uh, when there's a fight scene, I want a boxing glove to pop out of the seat in front of me and punch me right in my face. Um, they they, I, they I, do have a technology of a thing coming into your back. Like, a, like they have, like, these pinpoints that come out and hit you in the back. So, like, at one point during Transformers last night, like, spoilers for that movie, but Optimus Prime gets stabbed. And, like, a thing stabs you in the back. As Are you often. serious? Yes. Oh my God! Yeah, then this is this is right up my alley. I can't wait. I want to I want to feel pain while I'm watching movies. Uh, I want I want to be sweating. I want to be uncomfortable. I mean, if you're in a movie theater anyway, there's, there's a good chance if you're at a crowded theater, you're probably going to be uncomfortable anyway. So you might as well feel like you're part of a movie and get you know punched in the face and stabbed in the back and feel like you're immersed in the movie, right? I mean, that's what we're all going to the movie theater for. Brad, why would you want to be comfortable? You could do that at home. You want the movie theater experience. Yeah, but if I do it at home, then I'm just going to be watching a bunch of Emmy-nominated movies on Netflix. (laughs) Coming full circle. Okay, uh, (laughs) let's move on to our next story, and that is uh, Chris Evans. Is this a spoiler? I mean, he's going out and saying this publicly. Uh, Spo- I don't think it's a spoiler. I, I don't know. Potential spoilers for the Avengers series coming up. I mean, but the actors going out in public and saying this. So, uh, you know, skip ahead a few minutes if, if you don't want to hear this. But it's all over my Twitter feed, so I don't know how you would avoid it. Uh, so uh, Chris Evans has officially announced he's leaving Marvel after Avengers 4. 
Uh, we kind of probably guess what this means, but Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so in a New York Times profile, Chris Evans has confirmed that Avengers 4 is going to be his last movie with Marvel Studios. Uh, the excerpt from the New York Times piece says, last year Evans filmed back-to-back the final two movies, uh, Marvel movies, for which he is under contract. Avengers Infinity War due in April and a sequel planned for next year. For now, he has no plans to return to the franchise. And then they quote him saying, you want to get off the train before they push you off. Um, they said that... Uh, Evans expects that plans planned reshoots in the fall will mark the end of his tenure in that familiar red, white, and blue super suit. So uh, that news actually comes eight years to the day after Chris Evans was confirmed to star as Steve Rogers slash Captain America in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that's kind of interesting timing there. Uh, we know that he originally signed up for six films, but then ended up uh, extending his contract to seven because in- Infinity War was originally planned as one movie and then uh, split into two. So it seems like he's done for good right now. Um, we know that uh yeah, I mean, yeah, but you know, does, this, does this mean that he's going to get killed off? Like, because right, I, I feel that, like that's like the, you know, if we're reading between the lines, that's what everybody's saying here. Yeah, and I think it's it's probably a good bet, uh, especially with the way that things work in the Marvel comics, where both uh, Sam Wilson, who is um, Falcon, played by Anthony Mackie, and the Winter Soldier, who is uh, Bucky Barnes, played by Sebastian Stan, have taken on the mantle of Captain America in the comics over the years, um, notably after the real Captain America died in the comics. So I think it, you know the option is certainly there for Marvel to do that. Um, and I think we, we know that uh, Sebastian Stan has like a nine, I think he signed a nine film contract when he uh, came on board and he has a lot of movies left on that contract so it's probably a, a wise guess that he would take up the shield but um but you know it's not officially confirmed that captain america is going to die there's still a chance that he could like ride off into the sunset and actually survive this whole thing and pass the shield to somebody else but i, I would say with as much as the filmmakers are talking about how uh, the next two Avengers movies are going to change the MCU and have like dramatic consequences. It seems like a, a death for Captain America is forthcoming. Hmm. I, I still think that it's not going to happen. I, I feel like he wouldn't go public uh, with this comment. I think, uh, I think, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens, but uh, yeah, I, I, I could see something happening okay, where so- he, what? I was just going to say, do you think that he is um, that this is like an elaborate uh, troll job that he's actually going to oh, extend no. his contract and keep coming back or? No, I, I think he he plans on this being uh, the end of Captain America. But I mean, how many times have superheroes been killed off in the comics and come back? Uh, you know, I, I know it's different with an actor, but I, I'm betting if he was killed off, they wouldn't have him speak publicly like this about the end of his contract i don't know like marvel is so they keep everything so close to the vest and i feel like they would have a plan of telling you know the actors what to say into the media and i i, I just i don't know I, i'm not saying that this isn't going to be his last uh outing as captain america i just feel like uh i wouldn't read too much in between the lines here but uh okay but I know nothing, so who knows? Uh, let's get our, to our last news story, and that is casting for the Men in Black reboot. Brad, you wrote this up a couple days ago. Tell us about it. Yeah, this is pretty cool news for anybody who liked Thor Ragnarok because 
the Men in Black reboot, which already had Chris Hemsworth on board to star in the movie that will be directed by the Fate of the Furious director F. Gary Gray. Uh, he's getting reteamed with Tessa Thompson, who played Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok. And they made quite the duo in that movie. Uh, they were great, both action-wise and comedy-wise. So getting them back together for Men in Black sounds like a fantastic idea. Um, what's interesting is that <clears throat> apparently the the details that have come out so far, they're pretty scarce, but the hope is that this movie will be more of an ensemble piece than like a buddy cop sci-fi comedy like the original trilogy was with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones because they want the, the franchise to be a little bit more global this time. Because uh, if you think about it, the original Men in Black, everything was centric around New York. And if you're dealing with an organization that deals with aliens from all over the universe or galaxy, it would be kind of too coincidental to have everything happen in New York all the time. Kind of the same way that, you know, the monsters in Power Rangers always attack Angel Grove first. It's like, just go somewhere else. The Power Rangers aren't there, dumb shit. Um, I mean, the so, ghosts always attack New York City in the Ghostbusters, Brad. I mean, but that, but that was only twice, though. So there's there's a little bit of leeway there, you know. So and and that we can explain that. <laughs> okay. But anyway, but uh, yeah. You, so you, I, know what, I, you know what would get me interested in this movie more than I am now if uh, F. Gary Gray was not directing this movie and instead Taika Waititi was uh, directing this film. I would love that too. I, th- I think that would be awesome. He would be the perfect person to take it on. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not necessarily excited about F. Gary Gray doing it either, but having Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson back together is a pretty enticing prospect for me. I think we can all agree that more Tessa Thompson in our in our movies is a good thing. So, uh, but let's move on to our mailbag. Uh, you can send questions to the mailbag, Peter at slashfilm.com. Mark B writes in from London that I'm a guy who has a huge collection of movies on Blu-ray and has, to date, shuttered digital downloads. Although, obviously, I stream films when convenient, my question is, how long do you think the studios will remain committed to producing physical media? Are they in a hurry to make use, uh, to, to use only digital, or does having, uh, you know, physical media suit them? Uh, my concern is that when they when discs stop being manufactured, then the players will stop being updated slash improved too, and then my library uh, will be on borrowed time. Uh, so yeah, so basically he's asking what what is the future of physical media, Brad? I know you've talked about in the past, like you are a physical media junkie. Uh, yeah, I mean I wouldn't necessarily say that, like I'm a junkie, like I'm not buying every single Blu-ray and DVD that comes out, like I gotta have it. But if I'm buying a new movie to add to my collection. I always buy it on on Blu-ray, um, and that's just how how it works. Because, I mean, with with the way digital rights can get kind of shifty, and movies can you know potentially disappear from from streaming services and uh, digital download services, they can be kind of shaky there. And I always want to make sure that I have a copy of my favorite movies on hand. And there's there's still a little bit of a um, a quality difference between digital and Blu-ray. Blu-ray anyway. I just I like the idea of having a movie in my hands that it's my copy. I can always play it. I can take it to a friend's house if I want to borrow it without having to deal with like logging in on somebody else's you know device or uh, anything like that. And most of the Blu-rays I buy come with a digital copy anyway, so I get the best of both worlds. And I also like just like the physical representation of my movie library. I like being able to go over to my shelf 
and like look and glance to see, figure out if we want to watch something or having friends come over and look through and be like, oh, and just wanting to pick one out. And it's not as easy or fun, I guess you could say, to do that when you're just scrolling through your, your digital library. Yeah, see, when I had a DVD collection, I had over 3,000 DVDs. I had acquisition disorder, which means that, like, you know, I had to own everything. If I owned, like, you know, one season of a TV show, I needed to own all the seasons of a TV show. And it, it, it basically took over my living room. Um, now I have fully embraced uh, the uh, online uh, video libraries. Not that I buy... I don't buy that much, actually. I rent a lot uh, nowadays. Uh, Chris, I know you know you are on the uh, the the edge of you know you have a streaming column for the site. Do you still buy a lot of physical media? Uh, yes. Well, I, I also get a lot of stuff for free because I, I review a lot of it. So, but physical media is important to me. I I, I much prefer Blu-rays than than streaming or. Uh, the digital download. I don't really like the digital download because I feel like you forget about it. Like I have stuff on digital download and I forget I even have it because I can't like see it. I need to be able to see it on the shelf. But I, I understand when people don't care about that that much. And I know studios would love to move away from it. I mean, uh, you know, the studios do this thing now where they release the digital download in some cases a full month before the physical copy comes out just because they care more about that because it's cheaper to do it that way. You know, it, it costs money to manufacture D, to Blu-rays. So if they can save a buck or two, they prefer to do that. Um, yeah, no, I, I do think that Hollywood wants to go, uh, you know, digital because they make more money. You know, there's no manufacturing process. They're not giving away 50% of the sales to, you know, a retailer of some kind. Um, but guys, we, we got to look at this, uh, realistically. Um, you know, if we look at the boom of DVDs, that came around this time of, uh, what was it, PlayStation 2 came with the DVD drive. I don't think the next generation of video game systems are going to have a physical media drive. Um, I mean, I don't know a lot about video games, but, um, you know, we're going to start to see the disappearance of physical media drives in, in our homes. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I think that could could lead to... F- less physical media i mean physical media has been on its way out anyways it's been kind of uh, dying down but now you know with the 4k uh blu-rays and stuff but i don't even have 4k i'm so lazy i don't want to even go to a you know a blu-ray case and take the blu-ray out and put it into the thing and switch to tv you know i i, I can just go to my remote and press play on something uh ben do you have any thoughts on this um i mean i also am a big uh somebody who appreciates physical media. I don't uh, buy things nearly as often as I used to because there's just so much to see. Um, So, you know, from a personal uh, perspective, I would love it for the studios to continue producing this just to give me the option. And I'm wondering, um, you know, Chris, you're talking about the, you know, how much they, they probably are losing on manufacturing these physical discs and the cases and all of that stuff. Do you think that they would continue to produce blu-rays and stuff like that just for the people who you know prefer because that's got to be like an increasingly shrinking number of people right the people who prefer physical media do you think they would still continue to spend the money to serve that audience and then maybe just try to make make up the difference in re-releasing you know different versions of the film on on blu-ray uh, I'm going to say I, I, I don't doubt that eventually studios are going to just call it quits on Blu-ray. I don't know if it's going to happen like 
in the next few years, but I could see like 10, 15 years from now of them just pulling the plug on Blu-ray. I mean, there will all, they're always going to be like boutique distributors like Criterion or Shout Factory, but I absolutely do think eventually studios are going to just realize it may, it's more profitable for them to just release things digitally and just do away with Blu-ray entirely. I was afraid you were going to say that. That's that's <laughs> depressing. Uh, well, you because... you got to think the the as the amount of copies shrink, it, it, the price uh, costs increase to create right. like these things. Not just uh, you know the physical uh, cases and the discs and stuff like that, but also like to to master them for those discs, create the menus. You know, all, all the money that goes into that stuff uh, becomes you know split across less people. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. And also, but here, here's the thing that could save you guys. Uh, l- l- let me put the, the, the thing on the table that like is the, the, the uh, the thing that we, we, we all hate, uh, net neutrality. Okay. If, uh, if net neutrality really goes through and our internet service providers can start charging us whatever they want, uh, for, you know, uh, bandwidth and stuff. Then all of a sudden, streaming TV content and you know movies is going to cost us. You know we're going to be paying by the gigabyte or by the megabyte. Who knows? Something like that. Uh, then maybe people will go more towards physical media because you know maybe it would be cheaper to to buy a disc. Um, do you guys? Uh, I mean, that's like I'm kind of like being like, guys, we can save physical media, but at the cost of the internet. Right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a terrible world that I don't want to live in. But um, but I guess at least we'll have physical media still. <laughs> OK, um, wait. So I have one last question for you guys. You you guys are all kind of physical media guys. And um, and uh, the, the thing I, I, I hate the, of the loss of physical media is we're getting less special features. And I think the studios can actually track. You know how many people watch that audio commentary, and then they they start taking away you know behind the scenes feature like documentaries and stuff that like probably because they realize the mass majority of public don't watch those things, and that, that that kind of makes me sad because that's you know the stuff I loved about DVDs and and Blu-rays. Um, but okay, the thing I wanted to ask you guys is uh, you know it say tomorrow physical media goes away, uh, will you buy movies on on? Uh, streaming or is it you're just going to rent stuff like i'm wondering like what, what are your thoughts on that ben it's interesting because I, I wrote an article i guess this was last week um about netflix doing this thing where they were trying to gamify the idea of binging um streaming shows for kids where they were they created this this tech called netflix patches and it was like uh a little lock icon that would uh, that would pop up on certain Netflix shows and it would unlock and reward uh, audience members with these patches but it didn't actually give you anything it was just like a way to sort of i guess hit that you know to try to to try to lure kids into watching more TV and like unlocking these things as just a, a game essentially but if and I, I was speculated in this article about how Netflix should actually incorporate this technology by, uh, you know, rewarding users with the the ability to unlock special features that aren't there on Netflix right now. But I would love to see them actually put this technology to good use and, you know, deliver actual 
uh, <laughs> value on on that the idea of these patches. So I would love to see something like that come through. I, I don't know. Um, Th- that's how that also would... interesting because the idea of like you know you have a special uh, feature on the creation of. Uh... Everybody's seen Last Jedi now, right? The creation of Yoda for Last Jedi, and that special feature doesn't show up on the digital release until you watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like protecting you from yeah. spoilers. I don't know. I mean, we could—that's a whole other conversation we could have about whether or not the, you know, who who is making that decision and whether that's the right one. But, um, but yeah, the the idea of that being an option that's available is very appealing to me, and I, I wish Netflix would do something like that, and maybe they would if. Uh, physical media goes away entirely maybe those kinds of things maybe there would be such an outcry from um you know the the kinds of people who like us who still love watching that stuff maybe netflix could create a a whole another section or something devoted just to that material okay i'm gonna go to one last person that's brad because i know you have a huge media library okay tomorrow same question tomorrow you know physical media is going away you know, how will you proceed in the future? Will you buy stuff on 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 digital, or will it go? Will you be uh, more w- want to rent stuff? Um, I mean, I'm I'm fairly choosy about what I buy now, anyway. So, I mean, if if I'm forced to, you know, buy movies and it's only on digital, like I'm not going to be uh, stuck up about it and be like, no, I'm not buying in- anything. Um, cause like I said, I, most of the Blu-rays I buy come with digital copies and sometimes they're convenient, especially when, you know, you're going on a, a trip and on a plane, you want to download something to your iPad or, or something like that. So I, yeah, I mean, if, if that's the way it goes, I'll be disappointed. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I have to start buying movies uh, only digitally, then, you know, the, the market has spoken at that point And I just kind of just have to do that if I want to keep watching the movies that I like. You know what? I, I think the more I think about that, the, the, like even if it becomes kind of like a niche thing, physical media, like I think companies like Mondo, you know, who produce like these vinyl records for soundtracks of movies, you know, there'll always be a market for like a company like that to license a movie and release it on physical media. It, it just might be that you might be paying, you know, 50 bucks for the latest, uh, you know, Star Wars movie on uh, 8K Blu-ray Mondo edition. I think, well, and plus there, are, yeah, there, there are other companies too who are starting to release more of the lesser celebrated and probably far less in demand titles um, that usually, you know, don't get big re- uh, releases in stores and things like that. Um, you know, uh, Shout Factory releases plenty of titles like that. You know, like I, I can't imagine like tons of people other than cinephiles ourselves are clamoring for. You know that the, the all those Roger Corman titles, but you know there's a whole bunch of those that are going to go into production on physical media soon, and there, there's plenty of you know niche movies and cult classics that always find find an audience, and so you might have to pay a little bit more for them, and they might be more rare than most movies are today on physical media. But yeah, like you said, I, I feel like there's always going to be some place that is willing to sell movies uh, in a physical manner. Okay, I think that brings us to the end of Slash Film Daily for today. We've we've run over, so I'm not going to do our goodbyes. But uh, you can find this podcast every day, uh, every weekday, uh, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your questions for the mailbag, Peter at SlashFilm.com, or just your uh, your comments, concerns, feedback. Uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.